Hello and welcome to Final Games, a podcast about the games that inspired us. Thank you for joining us for the 39th episode of the show. As always, I'm your host, Liam Edwards, and thank you for becoming culpable suspects as I ship off yet another games industry member to a place of no return. Switching up things a little differently this week, I don't have a guest who actually makes games for you, but a guest who instead helps you purchase them for as cheap as possible getting you the best deals and helping you save money on this very expensive hobby of ours. My guest started CheapAssGamer.com all the way back in 2003 with the aim of helping gamers find the best places to purchase titles. Since then, the website has grown to have over 200,000 members and have hits in the millions each month. My guest also created a podcast that accompanies the website with two friends. You'll regularly hear his voice on the CADcast as well as a whole host of other podcasts as a guest. He's been saving you money for a long time under the alias of CheapyD. My guest this week is cheap-ass gamer owner, Mr. David Abrams. Hello, David. Hello. Thank you for having me, and thank you for that amazing intro. I'm blushing. (laughs) Thank you so much. It's amazing to have you. We've had... Quite, as I said before, just before we started, but we've had quite a few requests for you to come on the show. A lot of people have been tweeting at me or emailing me asking, please get Chippy D on the show. Please get Chippy D on the show. We did it. <laughs> we did it. We finally <laughs> did. <laughs> Through the power of Twitter, we, we now are here. Um, no, I'm, I'm glad to, you know, I'm, I'm here back in America. I have, well, now, it's funny because you're in, you're in Japan now. I was going to yes. say, now I'm on like the right you know, time zone, but it, it's, <laughs> now you're ready to go to bed and I'm just yeah. waking up. Yeah. So for anyone who doesn't know, uh, David used to live in Japan. Uh, you lived in Tokyo for, what is it, nine years? For nine years. And we moved back here uh, in 2014. And I, I imagine a lot of people are probably thinking, oh, it's probably game related. But actually, you, you moved to Japan uh, for nothing to do with games. Correct. Well, you know, games gave me the freedom to do it, but I met okay. a Japanese woman. Uh, in New York City, and we got married, and she got a great job offer to to move to Tokyo, and she was pretty unhappy with her job at the time here. And I still had a real job at the time, but I was doing cheap-ass gamer on the side, but it was getting to the point where it was making enough money that I could, it seemed like reasonable that I could quit my my real job and do that full-time. Quote-unquote. <laughs> yeah, I mean... It was, you know, it was a real job, nine to five, but, you know, I, I was getting health insurance and that was very nice. Uh, and there was no real reason to quit, you know, to quit that job, but uh, I could do both. Uh, but certainly the offer to move to Tokyo and have a lot of the bills paid for me, for, for us yeah. uh, was, was too good to pass up. Uh, and Cheap Ass Gamer made that happen for me and, you know, video games made that happen. My you know, indirectly, my love of video games uh, helped make that happen for me. Excellent. Well, um, just before we start, uh, start talking about Cheap Pass Gamer then, uh, I'm interested to know, having been out of Japan for what, like a year now, I think? or uh, two, uh, It'll be, we were in, at the end of 2014. It'll, it'll okay. be two years uh, very soon. Uh, so what, what do you miss most about Japan? Uh, the service basically and just uh, the general yes. <laughs> attitude i mean it's it's the first thing i noticed when i moved to japan and i don't know how long have you been there for uh 2 years now okay so it's all very fresh in your mind but st- this is this is still fresh in my mind after 9 years it's even longer than that cuz it was i think the first time i ever visited uh japan yeah. when i got we got to the, when we, just in the airport at narita airport i saw so many employees just running around they were running, and I thought, 
like there was emergencies happening, but there was no emergency. <laughs> they were just that's how urgently they needed to get their job done. Is that they ran from place to place, and I just you know you never see that. You see the opposite of that in America. So I I would say I miss that the most. The you service know, is definitely. <laughs> Japanese service is unlike anything else. <laughs> you, just, you have to experience, and even, yeah, I mean, you're in a department store, and like the the employees there actively are seeking people out to help. Which is, yeah. you, you walk into a Best Buy here, they're like they're hiding from you most of the time, <laughs> and you just never. And you know, waiting here when you when you go to buy something, there's always a line checking out. There's always a line. There's always, you know, five, ten cash registers, and only two of them are open. And in Japan, it's just that line. Doesn't matter how long the line is, you're through that line in you know fast. Yeah, like ten minutes. Like I remember, I think I was in like Uniqlo, the clothing store, the other day, and there was like twenty five people. And we, I I looked at like my phone to check Twitter, and like all of a sudden, I was already like at the front of the line already. It's just crazy how fast they work and how quick and efficient they are. I've left Oof, stuff. Amazing. I've left stuff on checkout lines here in America since I moved back in two years. I would say. Five to ten times I've just got off the line and left all the products in a pile and walked out the door. Oh, my God. <laughs> I, I fear the day I go back to the UK. You get and, spoiled. Uh, you get spoiled. Yeah, you do. <laughs> well, we are here to talk about video games. But I think first, uh, a lot of people who are listening, who obviously either listen to the CADcast or check out CheapassGamer.com, um, they probably want to sort of know how you sort of got started with CheapassGamer because it's... It, it, it's very interesting. It's there aren't many things like it. Um, obviously, everyone either wants to review games or make games or make videos about games. Um, d- is this something you always wanted to do when you started, or was it like you saw a niche and and you went with it? It it wasn't really either of those things. Um, I was always been a I've always been a gamer for forever. You know, since the yeah. dawn of since the dawn of video games. You well, see. your list, your list definitely highlights that you've been a gamer for a long time. Uh, it was, <laughs> uh, we'll talk about putting together that list later, which is like yeah. an impossible task. <laughs> um, but I've always been a gamer, and I've you know it's an expensive hobby, as as anybody who's a gamer knows. Yeah. And in, you know, the early 2000s and the internet was, you know, sort of just coming online and websites were popping up, uh, a good friend of mine showed me this website called bensbargains.net, which was a, a deals website, an early deals uh, site like Fat Wallet, which have deals on it. It has deals on everything like toasters, blenders, video games, fax machines, everything. And my friend sent me this website, and I got addicted to checking it every day because some of the deals were ridiculous. You could buy a fax machine for like $5. You, they would give you – there would be rebates involved, and you had to go through a little bit of trickery sometimes. But you could get these things that you didn't really need for $5. And once in a while, they had a video game. And I didn't really care about the fax machines, although I did buy a $5 fax machine. I was really just mostly interested in the video games, and this site just didn't have enough video games for me. I, you know, this guy had a lot. This Ben was busy; he had a lot of stuff to cover, <laughs> and he couldn't just do video games. Yeah. So I found myself going to the retailer websites and just searching the websites for the deals because I realized there must be deals out there because there's deals for all this stuff. There must be more deals that he's just missing. So I just started looking for the deals, and sure enough, they, they were there. And then I decided, well, I got to put them somewhere. And I was, I've always been into computers and into 
tech. Uh, my dad has always been an early adopter of technology. And when home computers first came out, he bought them. As soon as they became cheap enough, they had like the clones. Yeah. He couldn't, uh, couldn't buy the, the real IBM PCs because they were too expensive. But as soon as those South Korean clones came out, he was all over it. And we had the leading edge. And, you know, I was into it. So I wanted to try to make a website. And, you know, you could do it because of Google. You could just type stuff into a search engine if you didn't know how to do something and you could find it. And anytime there was an error message, you just type that, you type that in and you could fake it. You didn't really need to know that much. And so I started Cheap Ass Gamer and it turns out that there were a lot of people like me who love video games and yeah. didn't have a lot of money. And it, the site basically, you know, I posted on uh, GameFAQs a lot. I was, I was a GameFAQs reader, and I started posting on GameFAQs more and more with Cheap Ass Gamer in my signature. I didn't spam the site because you'll just get banned if you do that. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. I just had it in my signature, and I didn't break. I didn't break any rules or anything like that. And I just got involved with the community, and people came, and the site just grew and grew. And we had competitors along the way, but. I think Cheap Ass Gamer is just a sort of a memorable name and, I don't know, people got behind. They wanted to be a Cheap Ass Gamer. Uh, the community <laughs> was, you know, it's all about the community and the community yeah. was, was great and it just, you know, it's it's still a thing today, you know, well, the, 13 that's years what I was gonna, that was That's what I was going to ask because when you must have started in 2003 with the internet being uh, kind of... <laughs> get the like the early stages of what it is now nobody uh, obviously knew, like. it was functional and working um how did you go around getting all the deals did you go around to like your the best buys and all the game stops and like were you picking up leaflets and asking for the deals and stuff <laughs> but how, how did you get the information because i imagine it's a lot easier to do now but obviously there's more competitors um right. but back in the day how are you getting the deals? How are you finding them out? I would literally just go to eb, ebgames.com, which got bought by GameStop, which I'm sure you're familiar with GameStop at least. Yeah. Uh, was was a, like a really good site early on. They had, a, they had a really nice website and they had a lot of deals. And it was easy to find the deals on there because all you had to do was just go to just – you could view all the games and sort them by price. And if you just knew like what a game should normally cost, if you knew that much about video games, you could manually figure out which games were good deals or not, and yeah. which games were. And if you knew which games were worth playing or not, that was also very helpful. Which I did because all I basically did was, in my spare time, was read video game websites uh, and play video games. And <laughs> I was, you know, when I was working my real <laughs> job, I used to. Anytime I had to go to the bathroom for, you know, for an extended stay, I would print out all like the latest GameStop, uh, excuse me, excuse me, GameSpot <laughs> reviews, or IGN, whichever one was more printer friendly. I would just, I would print out a lot. And <laughs> I told the story on the CACAS, but the, the, my friend and coworker who sat in front of me, who sat right by the printer, she could hear like a lot of pages getting run off <laughs> and she would know I was going to the bathroom. And yeah. She would just yell out things. It was, it was pretty bad. But anyway, so I would just manually, to answer your question, I would manually go through the websites and just basically sort them by price and look through the lowest ones and just post them on the website. But the, and that's, 
you know, that's really the best. <laughs> it's probably still people do that today. Yeah. Uh, but eventually what would happen, um, and it took a long time for this to happen, you know, 10, 10 years or maybe not 10 years, but somewhere around there, you know, people start doing this themselves uh, quickly. But eventually they do it to the point where even when the retailer starts sending me the deals, which starts to happen as the site grows, people have found the deals already. So I, I get an email from the retailer telling me about upcoming deals. I go to post it and it's already there because somebody just manually looking through a retailer's website has found the deal. Has found them already. Before so, they, the guy decided to write it for me. But so also how, I would go through stores as well. I, I would yeah. walk through retailer stores. But almost, you know, the, the deals would usually match what was online. So it was pretty efficient to just search the online stores. Yeah. So how have you sort of kept kept it going throughout this sort of modern Twitter revolution where everything is posted instantaneously? Is it like now you have that community and they know how good and how reliable you are? Um, or does it still surprise you that so many people come to your website to find out things that are spammed on Twitter or whatnot? Uh, well, well, it's not about, at this point, it's not about me. It's not about GVD. It's not about David Abrams. It's about the the community themselves. They're the deal the deal finders and sharers, and they're they make up the community at this point. Uh, you know, the site has the reputation and the name. I guess the name power, brand recognition. <laughs> I don't know what you want yeah, to call it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's easy to remember, and we've been around for a long time. Uh, but you're right. There have been advances in how people use the internet. Uh, things are more mobile these days. People, Twitter is a great deal delivery vehicle uh we have a twitter account uh at video game deals which has i think close to one hundred and forty thousand followers it's it's great because people get it in an instance a lot of these things are very time sensitive they sell out uh and people are on their phones all the time and they check twitter all day long so we're i'm lucky that i have uh, a guy who runs the twitter account for me named uh, jared thorbon yeah and he does an amazing job. He barely sleeps and just basically <laughs> lives, uh, eats, breathes video game deals. Video game deals. Doesn't get time to play any of the games he purchases through said <laughs> deals. <laughs> but he's all, he's totally all over it. Uh, so these days, uh, most of my time is spent doing the podcast. Uh, yeah. Be- because I, I, there's not that much for me to add. And I have Super Programmer John who does the technical stuff on the website because I can't just Google that shit anymore. Um and, you know, so I spend most of my time doing the podcast, which doesn't take that much time because I've been doing it for so long. I've got it very streamlined. Yeah, down to a T kind down, of thing. Yeah, I'm very efficient. So um, was, but, the, was the podcast sort of, because obviously the podcast has become immensely popular, um, is the podcast sort of your outlet? Like, did you always want to review games and talk about them in a way that wasn't based around prices? Was the podcast the sort of outlet for that? Um, I used to, you know, I just, my, my parents are cleaning out the attic now. Now that I have a house and I have space, they've decided they're, it's a good time to bring me all my old video games and all my old junk. And one of the things that they brought were, uh, like a lot of cassette tapes. And I remember making old radio shows with my friends in my house into a cassette player. And I've listened to some of them and they're, they're, they're pretty horrible. Uh, they're, 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 I don't know that I could actually ever play them for anybody uh, without getting people's uh, signatures and permission, especially. But 
uh, clearly I was interested in this from a young age and it's, you know, it's pretty easy to do now. Anybody can do it these days. Uh, and clearly back then anybody could do it too, as long as you had a tape recorder. Yeah. Um, but it is, I do love talking about video games and I'm very lucky to have found, a. A woman who also who can at least put up with hearing with listening to me talk about video games and also likes to talk about them to some extent, maybe to not the same extent that I do. But the, yes, the the, the has a passing cast, interest in getting involved with the subject. Yeah, she can she can handle. She likes the business side to talk about the business side of it, which I do as well. Um, but yes, the Cadcast is a great outlet for that, and I've made you know two good friends through the through the cast uh which is you know a great thing as well excellent well just before we start getting into your list then which is quite an eclectic and wonderful list that goes as far back as gaming is has been um i want to know <laughs> when i was thinking of questions for you i was thinking about sort of like deals and stuff i, I always wondered has there been has there ever been such a good deal that's been cemented in your mind as like, that is the best deal I've ever seen, that it will never be beaten? Has it been like a deal where you're See, like, that is incredible. How, how is that happening? You can never say that something can't be beaten because, oh, I mean, it depends what you <laughs> the sky's the limit. Really. I mean, you can get stuff for free. I mean, it happens that I, the one that always sticks out of my mind when I'm asked this question is that when Circuit City existed, which was a big box retailer in America that went out of business, uh, shortly after subpoenaing, subpoenaing me over a, a legal matter, unrelated, oh, that they went out of business, <laughs> uh, which is a, a pretty well-known story. But uh, they, they, would, they would clearance out games for a penny, and then they had free shipping, so they would send you stuff for a penny. For a penny. Which is, and you know, they would cover the shipping. And I remember it was Star Wars. It's like a Star Wars, it was like a double pack game of, I don't know, Pod Racer. It wasn't a particularly great game. But I remember at the time being just very impressed that a company would send me something for a penny that had actual and with value. Free shipping. Yeah, that it had actual value. And it was that was, a, you know, a long time ago. That yeah. one always sticks, uh, sticks out. But. You have, you know, even recently, to give you a, a good example of how anything can happen, Xbox One S just came out, and there have been some pretty good offers for it, uh, including a free game of your choice recently uh, at all the retailers. And what most of the retailers failed to notice were that not all games are priced equally. And maybe when they were setting up these promotions, they didn't build that into their... <laughs> filter set or whatever you call it on a retail website yeah. so you could buy the xbox one s and then a collector's edition game that would cost 180 dollars or rock band or anything and it would deduct that price off the xbox which is crazy uh, uh, what <laughs> and then on top on top of that there was some other glitch that the math got screwed up and they would just deduct more on top of that and a lot so, of people, including myself, got very good deals on an Xbox One S. Oh, man. That would be... Oh, can you imagine? Like an Xbox One S and like a full set of Rock Band for like, what, $100? Less than that, I well, imagine? They would, just... 
I mean, they would take an Xbox One S with like a game or something, so it's like three hundred bucks, and then they just deduct the price of <laughs> yeah, wow. deduct one hundred and eighty bucks. <laughs> it's crazy, it was, but it That's happens. Incredible. It happens. I mean, it's all yeah. It's just some guy plugging in stuff into a computer, and if he gets it wrong, and they don't catch it in time, yeah, that's it. You get it. Xbox. Yeah, they have to fulfill. Well, some they companies don't. Have, they don't, don't have to, but if the, yeah, sometimes they, they just do. You never know. You can't really predict yeah. what's going to happen. Sometimes they get canceled. Sometimes you get them. Well, we are here to talk more about video games, but more about what you like about video games and what video games have meant the most to you and uh, games that you'd like to play for the rest of your days uh, in the place that you're going to be stranded in. But we'll get to that a little later. So why don't we kick your list off then and why don't we listen to some music from the first game and dive straight into David's final games. So, kicking off David's list today, surprisingly, is the first time this game has ever appeared on this show. Um, what? I know, quite incredibly. When you sent me the list, I was like, oh my god, yeah, that has never appeared on the show before. <laughs> oh my gosh, this guy is so old. <laughs> there are a lot of games on here that are pre-90s, um, so, which is quite incredible. Um this game was developed by Taito, uh, released in Japan by Taito in North America, and Europe was released by Midway. Uh, released originally all the way back in June of 1978, designed by Tomohiro Nishikaido. Uh, it's just the single-player fixed shooter that had that revolutionized video gaming. Space Invaders. David, yes. please tell me why the first game you're taking with you is Space Invaders. I mean, this is, this is the game that got me hooked on video games. Uh, I don't know where I would plug this in. I'm assuming there's power on this island. I try yeah, not to think about those don't, things. Don't worry much. about the. Don't worry about the. I didn't worry about the details. But <laughs> whenever I think about the video games that have moved me in a way, you have to start with Space Invaders. Um, when you, you know, like I said, my my dad was always into technology and was always an early adopter of technology. So I think even when he came across this this beast uh, in in the flesh for the first time, he must have been pretty amazed by it too. So you got to imagine. So you said 1978, right? Uh, so yeah. I was I was five. Uh, you know, Space Invaders. I think what really sticks out for me is is the sound. The game had had I guess it had a subwoofer or it had a big speaker in it somewhere. And maybe as a five year old, when you're pretty low <laughs> to the to the machine. I guess that would be kind of close to you. And it's I like booming into your boom, chest. Boom, boom, boom. And I remember, 
you know, I've, have you played Space Invaders, the arcade game? Yes, I have. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I have to ask that because how old are you, by the way? I'm t- I'm 26, You're but 26. I okay, I've tried my I've tried my best over the years to play as many of the sort of old arcade classics as I can, generally out of interest of where the sort of hobby began. Kind of sure. Thing. Uh, I mean, what really stuck out for me was the sound and how it would speed up as the game got along, and that would really just increase the stress level of a game that. You know, visually, was very simple. Um, even the gameplay, certainly by any video game that's out today, even mo- a mobile game, the gameplay is very simple. Yeah. But something about that sound and the way that it, it went through your chest, I guess, especially if you were a kid, uh, just <laughs> physically, uh, is sort of unforgettable. Uh, so and- so what, was, what was like... Did you go and play it in arcades when it was out, or was this like when you when you proper got into it was like the like Atari twenty six hundred version or like the home system? No, versions? no, 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 no. Arcades, definitely arcades, and arcades at the time. You know, this is very. I guess you know, Space Invaders could survive for for several years in arcades as they were kicking off in the early eighties. So it's not like it, they came out in seventy eight and. It's gone by 79. There probably weren't that many games at the time. Uh, so Space Invaders stuck around for a while, and you would see it all over the place. So you could see it if maybe in, in a hotel. You know, at the time, hotels would have game rooms. And my family, you know, we would we would go on little trips around the country, you know, road trips. Yeah. Uh, different, stay at different hotels. You know, we would go out for dinner sometimes, and restaurants would sometimes have a game or two. So I would always try anytime we would go out for go out to eat or go out anywhere. If there was an arcade, I would definitely be hitting up my parents to take me to said arcade at some point <laughs> during the trip. And you know that was a thing that existed back then. If you went to a mall, there was probably a kick-ass arcade, and good chance there was probably Space Invaders in that arcade. I remember in Penn Station. Penn Station is the big railroad station in New York City which uh, a lot of commuter rails come into. So it's hugely traffic train station. Back in the 80s, they had amazing arcades that, you know, they were, they were grimy in a way that, like, the people who would, you know, talk to you while you were playing games and try to sell you stolen watches might make <laughs> you feel uncomfortable and unsafe, but they were high-tech in a way that they would mount space invaders to the ceiling upside down, just... To have it, just so you could look at it, and that—that's that, an image. It was—it was called uh, Time Out, I think. I got to try to find pictures of that arcade, um, but you know those things just don't exist anymore. Um, and but those memories—I'll <laughs> never forget the guy who tried to sell me the watch while I was playing Time Killers uh, in Penn Station uh, for fifty dollars <laughs> and assuring me that everything was cool because it was bought on stolen credit cards and showing me the, sto- the credit the receipt. <laughs> Somehow that was supposed to make me feel better, but they did have space invaders hanging upside down in our, in that arcade. And, so, uh, yeah, it was, ama- it's an amazing, uh, <laughs> just the cabinet is an amazing, just to even look at it. Did you get good at space invaders? Did you, was this sort of something you poured quarters and quarters into did you get quite good? I think I did not get quite good at it. I mean, I could, you know, I, I could hit the UFO certainly and last for a yeah. little bit. 
and I probably I bet if I went through my bedroom, my original bedroom in my parents' house, I could probably find like a how to beat Space Invaders book in there somewhere, or at least <laughs> a book with a chapter on Space Invaders. Um, but no, I don't think that I got obsessed. I never got obsessed with it to the point where I had to be the best at it, uh, or I needed. I don't. I don't think I, I knew it even came. I think I knew that nothing fancy came, even if you got really good at it and just appreciated. You just got more points, didn't you? There was like a mystery ship that you got like 300 points for or something. And And then it would start over. Yeah, (laughs) essentially. Well, the memory those games had back then (laughs) was so Yeah, I mean, it could impart stress to you. Uh, a, A video game that was made in 1978 which was like sort of competing with Pong at the time, which, you know, I guess that could also give you a little bit of stress and emotion too. Uh, but I guess I had to choose Space Invaders over Pong. So obviously you're going to be trapped, uh, well, stranded. Trapped sounds a bit more dangerous. Uh, sure. Stranded to enjoy uh, Space Invaders on, on the place we're going to talk about in a little bit. Um, is there like a specific version? I don't know too much about the different versions of Space Invaders. Uh, I don't think it's like Pac-Man or uh, some of those other arcade games that have millions of different versions now. Um, but I, I believe like the original arcade cabinet was like a, a Taito 8080. Um, is that the like version you're going to be wanting to take, like that original arcade cabinet? Yeah, I don't think there's any... I don't know if there's any improvement made to that <laughs> game. I've never... I just saw it recently. There was a museum exhibit around here, and they had a lot of old arcade games. And it looked just like the, the an old-school Taito special. I don't know. I would just go with that. As long as the subwoofer is working, that's very important. Okay. you got to have sound. The sound is crucial to the experience. Well, we'll make sure for this hypothetical show <laughs> that you have the most pristine <laughs> and perfect version that you possibly can have with the best subwoofer. Yeah, not dried uh, out. You, not dried out. No. Absolutely. <laughs> well, I think we're going to move on to your next game as well now, which is a game uh, I don't know too much about. Uh, it's also a sport that, being a British person, I also don't have too much of a sort of connection to. Um, no. So why don't we listen to some music from this next game, and let's dive straight into it. jump in to the next game david we have to talk a little bit about the place that you are stranded so for the purpose of the show uh obviously we're sending you away with these eight games to play them for the rest of your life um but we allow you the comfort of being able to choose a place from video games to be where you're going to be stranded 
Um, obviously, there are not going to be any human NPCs or, or whatnot. Um, so you're going to be on your own. Is there like a place that comes to your mind about what kind of like a beautiful level or scenery from any video game you've played that you wouldn't mind being trapped in playing some Space Invaders? Holy moly. Now that's a question. <laughs> so I'm the only living thing on, in this environment? Well, so generally the rule is that anything that can sort of hurt you from video games. So if you're thinking like uh, if you take Monster Hunter, for example, where it's basically islands full of monsters, you probably want to avoid that. Anything that's maybe has like intelligent sentience uh, that could help you escape is not there. So nothing can hurt me, but nothing can is nothing's going to be my friend either. Uh, well, yes. So I'm still oh. all by myself. Yeah, essentially. Just treat it as by yourself. Makes it a bit sad, doesn't it, though? It That's why suck. these eight these eight games are there to comfort you, my friend. Wow. <laughs> so, like, do you choose some sort of fantasy Dungeons & Dragons type environment or some cartoony Mario? So, so for example, we've had some places such as... Uh, Outside Island from The Wind Waker. We've had The Island of the Witness. Um, we've had Space from No Man's Sky, which is kind of cheating. Um, <laughs> uh, what else have we had? We've had we've had so many. We even had the ship from Alien Isolation, which is uh, by far my <laughs> least favorite. <laughs> wow. Um, huh. See, I feel, see, I'm, I'm very sneaky. So I feel like this is an opportunity for me to sneak in like some game reference of a game that didn't make my list, my top eight list. <laughs> well, this is your time to sort of maybe make something an appearance if you have something to say about it. Hmm. Otherwise, these are the eight games strictly that you will be taking with you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, how about, oh... I got to give a sh- shout out to to Super Mario Brothers and Super Mario and like just like the fun Mario world. I don't know what level though. So like the Mushroom like Kingdom? One, how about yeah, just like 1-1. One one. Okay. Obviously. Like, so I mean that's a lot of comfort right there for me. I spent a lot of time on my my bedroom floor <laughs> playing that game just sitting on my ass, not even in a chair. Just leaning I, against my bed. I think that's such a good choice that I would I would happily install a switch that allows you to turn on the music on and off of the level as well. You so can't if you be depressed just, there, right? No. Well, it's up to you. It depends how crippling <laughs> loneliness, yeah, how you can deal with that. Um, but if you have like a little switch that toggles on the music, so you're not driven insane by the level music playing over and over again, but you know you can still listen to that excellent Mario theme. Whenever you and choose, the, and I can jump and grab the flag at the end. The flag you can, but once you walk into the castle, you're that's it. Inside the castle is is your home. That's where all your games, all, all these eight games, are stored. <laughs> I, hmm. All right, that's fine. Okay, so one one from Super Mario. That that's what that's where we're sh- that's where we're shipping you off after this podcast. Then perfect. So well, the next game that you're going to be playing, um, you you tried to cheat here as well uh, totally. by. Uh, you try to you try to get three games. Uh, in, I'm in really one trying choice. to cheat. I'm I'm trying to get more than three games in there. I don't even know what, <laughs> how badly I'm trying to cheat right now. But all will well, be revealed. 
well, the series that you're trying to take, um, more specifically, uh, surprisingly, and uh, this sh- sort of shocked me when I read it, was uh, developed by Bethesda. One of their um, first games, actually. Yes, and published by Bethesda Softworks and THQ for the uh, Nintendo Entertainment System. Uh, it was on Amiga and Atari and DOS systems as well. It released all the way back in 1988 with the first game. Uh, it's Wayne Gretzky's Hockey. Um, yes. David tried to, t- tried to put Wayne Gretzky Hockey 1, 2, and 3. Um, I'm going to explain. I, I okay, you can explain, explain, and then maybe we'll have a judgment. <laughs> First, I'll explain why it's relevant to me okay uh, and also while fitting in other video games and cheating totally. <laughs> uh, I, i'm a big hockey fan and as you know i'm a big video game fan so naturally there's some synergy here it makes sense uh back in the day we had you know like i mentioned the rise of the south korean clone pcs so my dad bought us a, a pc my a friend of mine uh, actually, uh, whose, whose father was a, a successful attorney, actually had the real deal IBM PC. So I used to go to his house and we could play Wayne Gretzky hockey on the PC and it would run perfectly because he had a real, a real nice computer. Now, you mentioned the NES version. We can't really lump the NES version in with all this. I'm, I'm throwing that one off to the side because okay. people are going to look that up on YouTube and think I'm a crazy person, and or people who have played it are going to think I'm a crazy person. Because well, no why is why is that? Is it is it just a bad port? It's yeah, it's just a bad port, and it doesn't really get it. This was a simulation hockey game, so this was really I think you know at the time I used to play I used to like simulation sports games. I uh, even played some baseball ones, uh, micro league baseball, but I, I don't really care about baseball. I care about hockey. So this was like the first real deal hockey sim, but you could also play it. It had overhead graphics. I don't know if you took a peek at the graphics, uh, Liam. But I, I had a little bit of a peek. Uh, <laughs> it's not impressive. It's, no, it's pretty pretty primitive for the time. Very primitive, but all the the correct number of players are represented. Uh, the players actually play their positions. The players are rated. They use real players. The players are rated in many different categories. So you could have a, a very realistic arcade game, uh, uh, excuse me, simulation game of hockey that you could also play yourself uh, with a keyboard. I think the keyboard was the preferred method at the time. The joystick was very difficult to manage. Yeah. Uh, but this thinking in 1988... This was like a pretty big deal if you're a sports fan, especially a hockey fan. Uh, it had it had fighting in it. Now, the reason why I, I chose one to three uh, as my hero, because it, it was sort of difficult to choose. I, I can't really remember the differences between all three of them because I played a lot of them. Well, they, they, them. Came, they came in very quick succession after each other so it was like 1998 for the first one then it was 1990 for the second and 1991 for the third so they were all pretty close together (laughs) right it's all it's all a blur but what i what i do remember (laughs) is spending a lot of time in at my friend's house uh and i I think mostly at my friend's house because he had he had a much nicer setup than i did he had like big computer desk and like a couch down there so we could literally play Wayne Gretzky hockey for hours and hours at at the uh, at a clip, and nobody would bother us. And eventually, as 
you know, I guess people were buying this game, and this is early Bethesda, so they didn't have a lot going on at the time. They even came out with a hockey league simulator, so you could really go f- all in. Like you know, these are things that are even today aren't that well. I guess today they have they have good versions, but back in back then, to yeah. fully be able to simulate a league and do trades and you know, it, there were no real graphics for the for like the league stuff, but yeah. there was a nice interface. You could do it, and it worked, and it was addictive as hell. If you were a hockey fan. And yeah, I mean, I spent, you know, I could have learned, you know, foreign languages if I didn't just play this game. (laughs) That's how many hours were sunk into it. So obviously from then, um, the sort of NHL series span off. I remember I, the only hockey game I think I've ever played was like an NHL game on like the Mega Drive, which is the Genesis, uh, your side of the water. Mm -hmm. Um, and I remember that had fighting in it as well. And it was incredibly fun to just beat the crap into people. I had no understanding of the rules of hockey and stuff. Um, but how do you still play like the NHL games? It, yes. Would, I played- are they good enough for you um, <laughs> as a hockey fan? Like uh, as a, as a sock fan, FIFA is pretty good for me. Um, so is this more a nostalgia pick than actual like a game mechanic picking like the latest hockey masterpiece from EA or something? Um, not necessarily, it's not necessarily a nostalgia pick because I, I did think of, I did think about that. Uh, the gameplay at the time and even today, I think would still be pretty good and, t- and especially the league stuff was so in depth that it could just keep going. And even today they don't, it's not as good as back then. The, the, I've played all the NHL games yeah. basically, basically. Uh, and I was, it was hard to choose. I could have went that way and chose one of them. But I really feel, you know, like those games might get old, and I think that there might be more, longev- more longevity to Wayne Gretzky Hockey Three plus the Hockey League Simulator than, let's say, like an NHL Seventeen, uh, which I do play, and I do. Well, I didn't own it; I'm renting it on EA Access. Um, <laughs> those games are great, and in college, I spent in a crazy amount of time playing, you know, uh, NHL Ninety. Four or any of those games. Yeah, I think I think ninety five was the one I played on Mega Drive uh, on the Genesis. That was like, I remember. I think my cousin had it, and I just remember it was because I was into sports, but obviously didn't know too much about hockey. Being a five year old, um, but it was really fun. I haven't played any hockey games since, but it was pretty fun. Very shallow though, and there were like certain moves that you could do that you could basically score every time. So. I really feel that these these early these late '80s games might be a little deeper in a way um, than than those Genesis games. But they were st- <laughs> you're right; they're still fun. And it, but what it would come down to: who could do more of the trick? You know, yeah, the scoring yeah, yeah. trick, and you know that's not necessarily like an exciting game of hockey per se. So let's return back to the fact that you chose three then and let's sort of mm-hmm. decide whether we can allow this. So do you know of without making it up for your own selfish gains, sir, um, of a, like a triple pack where you could get all three of them on PC for like, maybe like windows 95 or something. That's a good, I might get, I don't know. Cause I, it's a, it's a, very, it was a long time ago. My guess is that there would have probably been a bundle with Wayne Gretzky hockey three and hockey, I'm such a nerd. This is so bad. But uh, <laughs> hockey, hockey league simulator two. 
my guess that that might have been a thing. Um, so, so if f- there is technically a retail <laughs> box of yes. such a thing, yeah, that's what then we're doing. I then I will allow you to take it. We'll 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 have to Google that, but we'll have to find out. Yeah, yeah, Gretzky, Wayne Gretzky <laughs> Hockey Three Plus. And they all had abbreviations. So it was WH3 and HL, H, Hockey League, HLS2. Yeah. Hockey League Simulator 2. We need that bundle. <laughs> so, but what if there wasn't like a, if there wasn't a pack, which one would you take? Then we got to go. I mean, we're either going Wayne Gretzky Hockey 3. We're definitely going Wayne Gretzky Hockey 3. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, because I don't think the just the league simulator without Wayne Gretzky, without the game is going to be that exciting because there's no pictures. We, <laughs> we need some graphics. <laughs> and at least in Wayne Gretzky Hockey 3, you know, you couldn't control the fighting. Like, yeah, I know you said you enjoy the fights in, uh, in the... Uh, oh, was it like automated? It was automated. You would just watch on the scoreboard. The scoreboard would... They would show the scoreboard and you would watch two guys and you would see the jersey numbers on the back, I think... You definitely had the right color jerseys, and they would fight, and that's you could see that's how you learned who won the fight. But in a lot of ways, I preferred that because it was more realistic. <laughs> because the guys who don't fight would be ranked like zero in fighting, and they really just wouldn't fight. And if a guy was ranked nine in fighting, he would beat up a guy who was lower ranked, and that doesn't necessarily happen in the EA games. This is really nerdy. <laughs> tell everybody just I love it. stop I love it. on the on the on their iPhones right now. As someone who has spent a long time playing like soccer management sims as well. Okay, um, good. So you know, it you speaks know. To, it speaks to me a little bit, yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately in soccer we don't have much fighting. Um you just have the speak, diving and like the Yeah, just the diving and sometimes they're kicking very lightly in <laughs> anger. <laughs> well, we're going to sort of move on to your next game now, which is a uh, Still a blast from the past as well. Maybe a little bit older than Wayne Gretzky's hockey. Um, and it was for the uh, Nintendo. So we're getting into the sort of the Famicom era of things now. Um, so let's listen to some music from this next game. And let's talk about it. on your list david is a game that was developed by nintendo r&d 2 and in conjunction with how laboratory um published obviously by nintendo it was released in arcades um but the home console version is what it's quite known for which is being the uh nintendo entertainment system or the famicom if you're here in japan um it released all the way back in 1985 in japan and then a year later in 1986 in america 
Um, but it's since been released on the Virtual Console for the Wii and the 3DS and the Wii U as well. Uh, it's a futuristic driving video game uh, called Mac Rider. David. I, I call it Mock Rider. I don't Mark know. Rider. I don't know if that's because I'm from Long Island. Mark. Maybe. <laughs> but in my mind, it's always Mock Rider. Well, the, the Japanese katakana is Maha Rider. So I, d- I don't know what the right. hell they're talking about. <laughs> exactly. But uh, I, I, I would think if it was Mac, it'd be like like a jet plane, like Mac yeah, 3, Mac exactly. 2. Exactly. Mac. But when you're from New York, that's how it sounds. <laughs> but this, I mean, I, I, I'm a big fan of racing games. Uh, but I remember this game being very uh, significant at the time because, one, it had a, a, a good sense of speed, which... At the, you know, this is, what would you say, 86? 86, uh, yeah, 86. This is before you know, Mario, before just yeah, crazy. This is, a, this, is an, this is an early, yeah, this was this like a launch game? I don't know, but it was an, it had a good sense of speed. It was, you could shoot things on a motorcycle. Yeah. Which was, which was you know, pretty great when you're a kid. <laughs> it's a great combination at the time. Uh, and I remember you could make your own tracks, which which had a it had a, t- a track editor built into it, and it was very easy to do it. It wasn't convoluted in any way, and so even if you got bored with what was what the game came with, you sort of could do your own thing and at least amuse yourself. Even just making the track, if you get bored of just you know driving around, you know you could just be a designer if you want. You could just w- w- was it like. Ex- because I've never played this game, surprisingly. Um, I know there was a track editor in Excitebike, um, which was extremely primitive. Um, was it similar to that? How, how did you sort of design the, the tracks? Uh, it was pretty easy. I, I believe, you know, I'm doing this from memory. I, uh, unfortunately, I didn't do any research. But my I believe it showed you an <laughs> overhead view. And it was basically just like a line. It had different tiles uh, with lines in different directions, but basically you were drawing a line, which represented an overview of the track. Uh, yeah. And the tiles you could manipulate, you could move the tiles around and choose different tiles, which I think is different than Excite Bike, uh, but I'm not 100 percent sure on that. Yeah, so I, I got it wrong before. I'm thinking. So 86, so Mario was 83, which was like the NES. So th- this is a good three, four years into the, the Famicom like, life. Uh, how were the graphics? Because they must have sort of been pumping out some pretty good graphics that late on. I think it was, I think there was a Famicom data recorder system for it as well you, that you could record all these tracks. So there must have been some pretty good development into this game. There, there was. What really, you know, I mentioned the sense of speed, which was really nice and you know the you know it was very fluid and the control was great, but the the audio was really the 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 the, the music the, the the sound. I mean, I I'll never forget the do 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 do. You'll just never forget that, and especially when you hear it hours and hours and hours pumped into your brain, sitting on the floor of your bedroom, you'll really never forget it. But yeah, the graphics. I mean, if you look at the box art of it, it. You know, it the art was good, the art design of the bike was good, you and you know you're shooting on a motorcycle. These these are good these are good combinations. <laughs> so was it similar to uh, like Road Rage? Was it like a yes. precursor? But obviously Road Rage was, uh, or Road Rage was a Genesis game. So um, was this like sort of a precursor to that? Maybe it's like Road Blaster, which was an arcade game. Oh, okay, uh, yeah. 
very similar to that, actually. I think that's a great, that's a, actually a, a, a great comparison. Um, but you know, I mean, this was this was an arcade quality game in your house that was exclusive. <laughs> that you, I guess you said it was. It came out in arcades. Yeah, so that, there was America, an arcade version, uh, and then obviously a home console version on the Nintendo Entertainment System. Uh, I imagine the arcade version was probably strictly to Japan. Maybe if you don't know uh, about it, was, it, it was no, it was built in with one of these other ones. Yeah, it wasn't a dedicated oh, okay. yeah. one. It was like you could choose from a few different games. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, that I remember. So yeah, it didn't really add anything. It was the same. It was just basically the home version. I'm, I'm pretty sure. Um, but it was it was a. I mean, it was cutting edge at the time. Well, it's weird because I, I going back, Nintendo is sort of my sort of area of expertise usually, uh, but I don't know too much about this game. There's sort of the only stuff I really know about it is the stuff that's sort of carried on in the legacy of Nintendo. Like uh, it features in like Smash Brothers is like. Uh, there's references to it with like stickers and um, in Mario Kart Wii. There's also the Mac bike, which is which is like a it's like a red bike that looks exactly like the one that's used in the game. Um, so I might have to download the 3DS version and give, give it a go. I you know I I will admit that I chose this one for nostalgic reasons. I cannot guarantee that it's going to hold up to today's playing, but I <laughs> I will guarantee that the the song will. And okay. I, would al- I would also recommend uh, for your listeners that they check out. There's a really good remix of that song. Uh, it's the it's like the OC remix. If you Google OC remix Mock Rider, uh, you'll find it. Uh, that, OC remix yeah. Mock Rider. Yeah. Well, uh, maybe I'll find it and I'll use it for the music intro at the start of this game so they can hear it without having to Google it because they're all lazy. <laughs> I've used it as an intro for the CADcast a few times because uh, it's fantastic. Excellent. Well, we're going to move. We're going a bit forward in time now. We're jumping to the 90s, um, which is like, oof, getting old now <laughs> compared to the games we've had previously. Um, so, yeah, we're going to jump into the 90s now. It's pretty much the biggest arcade game of all time. So let's listen to some excellent music from this next game and let's dive straight into it. The next game that we're going to be talking about on David's list is an arcade game um, that released all the way back in 1991. It was developed by Capcom and produced by Yoshiki Okamoto. Um, it's sort of the it was meant to be a game originally in a brawling Final Fight series, um, 
But one of the developers at Capcom just decided to make a sequel to this relatively unknown and unliked uh, fighting game called Street Fighter. Um, and they made a game called Street Fighter 2, which pretty much took the arcade world by storm, which I obviously was too young to experience. But David, please <laughs> tell me why you're taking Street Fighter 2. Um, and, and specifically tell me which version as well. Is it the arcade version or is it the Super Nintendo version? No, it's the um, arcade. Well, it's, it's interesting. I, I would bring the arcade version, but, you know, the, the home yeah. versions are interesting uh, for, for many reasons. But, uh, yeah, you know, it was 19... I was in high school and arcades were, you know, fairly popular. Still a thing. Still <laughs> Definitely still a thing. Uh, but when this game came out, this was like very exciting. The fact that you could go and basically play against strangers with your friends and have like this sort of, you know, I mean, this is like the first esports, really. Um, you could go with your friends. People would watch you. They would a crowd would gather around and watch you play a stranger. People would cheer for you as you move these virtual characters on the screen. It's very. You know, it's very Star Wars when you think about it. When you think about that chess game that they're playing on the on the Millennium Falcon, yeah, you know, it's 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 pretty silly actually when you think about <laughs> it. You're controlling these avatars, and people are watching and cheering and putting their coin up on to get in line. And you know, this is what we did at lunchtime in high school. We would get in. You know, we had well, at least one of us would have a car, and you had an hour or so, and you could. Get to Nathan's, which was like this hot dog place, pretty famous. You, have you heard of Nathan's? They had a couple in Japan for a while. They're, they went out of business, I think, before you. I got have, I've not, I've not heard of a place called Nathan's. Uh, well, it's a famous hot dog place from Coney Island, New York. And back in the day, they had a big arc. They had big arcades in the back. Uh, now, I think the arcade parts are gone for the most part, but they still sell hot dogs. Anyway, we would go to Nathan's at lunchtime in high school. And we all had our own guys that you would choose that you would sort of spend the most time with because you sort of had to choose one if you wanted to be competitive and have your quarter last. <laughs> you know, you had to wait. <laughs> so if you were going to get knocked out right away, it kind of sucked because you drove, you had to drive to get there. And, you know, it was still fun because you could cheer for your friends. But ideally, you could be competitive at least with one guy. Yeah. So who, who was your guy then? I, I was a Honda man. I was. I've always been a Honda man. I'm still a Honda man, even though I don't really play much anymore. Um, <laughs> but he was a good character. He could. I felt like he was very evenly matched and could be competitive against anybody. Uh, and I could do okay with him. I uh, I could hold my own with him. I could win a couple <laughs> once in a while. Um, but yeah, the arcade version for sure was the one that was just really exciting for me and. You know, but yet the home version is sort of what led to the downfall of arcades. I feel, yeah, you know, sort of so killed them. Did you have like a Super Nintendo, and were you were you were you like yeah. going going at, at your lunch hour to obviously play with friends? But then were you then going home and practicing your e Honda on like a home no. system? No, when did so so I I didn't do my research, but I feel like that came out later. So it was it was only a year later from the arcade version. So the arcade version was in 1991, and then the Super Nintendo version released in 1992 across all territories. Gotcha. So there was there was only a year, which is which is pretty standard for like arcade to home console ports, even these days. Um, for me, for me, 
for me, that was significant because I went to college. That was the year that I went to college. Uh, and I didn't have any money to, to have a Super Nintendo <laughs> at, at that point, I think. It, it's weird because we're talking about a game that uh, obviously Capcom now still, Street Fighter is still going with Street Fighter V and it's loved by so many in this hardcore community. But I, I think people underestimate just how popular this game really was um, back then because having read some stuff and watched sort of documentaries on the arcade scene back then, like by 1995, which is only four years after release, um, and it was receiving like, what was it? Hyper Street Fighter, not Hyper Street, but like Super Street Fighter Turbo, like all the different versions. The arcade version of the game had made like $4 billion, which is, can you even imagine a video game these days making that kind of money? It's well, incredible. Grand Theft Auto. <laughs> exactly. <We're laughs> like, That's the one. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, but imagine it's the only one from quarters is the crazy thing. You know, it's just it's it was like going to the movies. Basically, it was just so popular. Um, so we've spoken a lot about sort of arcade games, um, and uh, you obviously lived in Japan. Um, Having been someone who grew up playing games and seeing the change from arcades in America sort of dying out a little bit, um, when you came to Japan like a couple of years ago, was it like, oh my God, was it like just a love affair appeared again or did it make you a little sad that it sort of died out in America? Did, did thought, you enjoy it? <laughs> I thought it was cool, but that it didn't last very long because for the most part, the games there were not of interest to me. I mean, sometimes there would be some some weird stuff in there, like, you know, these capsules that you would sit in and robot <laughs> stuff. But for the most part, like, I couldn't understand what was going on. Like, I wouldn't really be able to figure out how to play the game, I would I would imagine. Uh, and also, they're filled with cigarette smoke, which was a big turnoff for me. That's true. They are very smoky places, even now. Um, so I did not spend a lot of time. In the nine years that I lived in Ch- Tokyo... I would really only go to arcades when I had people visiting from out of town and they wanted to see it. I would not really, that yeah. would not be a place that I would go. I like my memories of American arcades, uh, although I did have chosen a lot of Japanese games <laughs> uh, on this list. <laughs> Japanese games, but in, a, in an American setting. <laughs> I think so. Yeah, the cigarette smoke was a turnoff. And they were just, they were, they were, they're kind of gross for the most part, those Japanese arcades. I don't know. They certainly. It's certainly interesting, and once you've been to one, you've kind of been to them all. Um, depressing is the word, maybe? A little depressing? Mildly depressing? Very, very dark. Um, obviously, I think for anyone who hasn't been, it is still a sight to behold. Uh, especially, like, if you go to, uh, there's a place in Akihabara, which is like Taito Hei, which is kind of like a, you can't see it because it's wedged between two of the biggest arcades in Akihabara, which is like the Sega game centers. Um, there's this like little place called Hay, and you go up an escalator and then this is like the only place that I've seen in most of Tokyo that has like basically all of the old cabinets, like all the old like shoot 'em ups, all of the old fighting games. So no rhythm games, no DDR, no right. no sort of nineties on modern Japanese arcade games. Um, mostly just all shoot 'em ups and stuff. And that place is actually pretty cool. And most of the people in there are sort of old salary men who are reliving their childhoods. I think. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, still full of smoke and, and stuff smoking. like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
They they have like a, I can't remember. It's like a ten foot gradius screen. It's huge. Oh, that's cool. uh, yeah, it's super cool. That that is sort of the the only Japanese arcade I've seen that maybe harks back to that sort of golden age of arcades. Whereas most Japanese game centers now uh, are full of rhythm games or um, fighting games, yep. but even less so that now. Yeah, I I'd rather just walk around an electronics store basically than a Japanese arcade. They didn't <laughs> Go to do the it big for camera. Me. They need a Nathan's there with they need a proper American Nathan's <laughs> to get me. So, obviously Street Fighter 2 uh has good memories for you. Have you have you stuck with the Street Fighter series? Did you play like Street Fighter 4, Street Fighter 5? Are you still playing now? No. I mean, I I did play a little of 4 and you know, they're okay, but I'm never going to put in the time to be good enough that it's going to be fun for well, me. Well, well, you are now. Well, now, right. <laughs> I, that's, see, I feel like I should just build upon my the base already with Street Fighter 2. I've put in a lot of time already. Um, yeah. Yeah, and it just has a lot of good feelings for me of just the golden age of arcades. But also, like, you know, it did sort of kill off arcades. I guess by the time when the home versions came out, there wasn't really much version, uh, much reason to go to, to the arcade. Yeah, once that sort of two-player home experience um, happened, just America just dropped the ball. <laughs> like, it was just at, like really, per- it was really just like a perfect version. It was the technology was good enough that we could get the arcade games at home, and I think yeah, I just I didn't have a I didn't have a Super Nintendo at the time. I got it later, but. It's just it was. I remember I, thinking how amazing it was when I finally did get it at on Super Nintendo. That I'm I can imagine arcade at home. <laughs> I can imagine all of like the really hardcore Street Fighter Two players back in the day being like, "Ugh, playing with a D pad. Oh, what are you guys doing? Like, where's no. the stick?" <laughs> I don't think I don't think that existed back. Then. I don't remember that at all. I think people were just in awe. I mean, I could be totally wrong, but I feel like people just were in awe that it was the same. Like, it looked the same. And like, could, it just ran the same. Just everything was... The music was maybe... Well, the music for that game is so iconic anyway. So I imagine even, like, a more 16-bit version probably didn't make a difference. The Super Nintendo had great music. So yeah. I, don't, I don't think it was a problem. I, I think people just were excited. They didn't have to wait. You know, they didn't have to... They could practice at home. They didn't have to worry about, like, being embarrassed. They could play with characters that they normally wouldn't play with because... It was like an. It's, it was literally an investment at the of time and money in yeah. the arcade. Uh, so you couldn't you couldn't do it. It's like, so it was it <laughs> it uh, killed the arcade too. <laughs> Good job, Street Fighter. <laughs> well, we're going to move on to another Super Nintendo game. Uh, no arcade version for this game, um, but it came around. Uh, it came out around the same time as Street Fighter 2. Um, so let's listen to some music from this next game and let's dive straight into it.
So the next game on David's list is the first Bomberman game that got released in Europe. So this was the first time any of us in European shows actually ever saw Bomberman. Um, but this game is developed by good old Hudson Soft, um, directed by Miko Ueyama um, for the Super Nintendo. It released all the way back in 1993. Um, it's Super Bomberman. David, why is the next game you're taking with you Super Bomberman? Okay, so Super Bomberman to me is the, is the definitive Bomberman version. Not that I'm the be all end all of, of Bomberman. I don't. I'm not <laughs> the, the Bomberman don't, expert. I'm not the Bomberman expert by a long shot. I haven't played every <laughs> iteration of Bomberman. But for me, at the time, and I, I probably didn't get it in '93 because I, I clearly remember purchasing Super Bomberman at Macy's of all places, which is a, a department store in America that most people I don't. I'm sure they don't sell video games anymore. And I'm sure even back then, most people didn't think that they sold video games. But for some reason, well, I think what the reason was, when you bought Super Bomberman, it came with the multi-tap, which is the, the four-player adapter. Yeah, yeah. So it was sort of like a big box. It was like a bigger box, and maybe that's why Macy's had it, because it was, I don't know. Maybe they, oh, no, they, I think they did have a small selection of video game, games at the time. But for whatever reason, they had Super Bomberman, and it was like, it was on clearance, or it was on sale. And I... I somehow had, I guess I was able to buy because that was an expensive pickup because uh, it came with the multi tab, I feel. Uh, but I got it for cheap and I brought it back to college with me and it was a huge hit. Have you played Super Bomberman? Are you familiar you, with Super yes. Bomberman? Yes. Yeah, I, I own a coffee. I own a Japanese coffee and a European coffee. Okay, great, great. So the great thing about Super Bomberman is that. You could play five players, so you had the you had the four players with the multi tab, and then you could plug in just a, a standard controller by itself, uh, which is great if you live in a fraternity like I did in college, where you have people who love to play video games and are just constantly coming in and out of your room. So we at any given time, I could have a five player bomber super bomberman game going, which was a, it's a pretty great perk. I think, to have over several years of one's life. Yeah. Uh, but the great thing about Super Bomberman is that it was simple enough to explain to somebody who wasn't a big gamer that they could see you playing it and they see people screaming and just carrying on and having a great time and get them interested in it. And you could explain it to them and they could come in and feel comfortable at least sort of knowing what they were doing. I mean, they would probably get their ass kicked. But... They could get in on the action, and it would be fun, and they would come back. And this, I got a lot of people hooked on Super Bomberman, I feel, <laughs> over maybe like the two years that I had it in college. <laughs> so um, was this just playing like battle mode over and over again? Just yes, never ending. And it got to the point, <laughs> it was bad. I mean, it was really bad uh, because I had a, you know, in college, you don't really have luxurious accommodations. And I remember... I was living in a fraternity, but we didn't have a house. We had a, a floor on our dorm. So we lived in the college, in like one of the dorms on campus, and they gave us like one floor. So I had, a, I had a single room, and it was tiny. It was a tiny room. So you had to fit five people in there was pretty tough. Uh, but it was worth it. It was because you'd have like four people sitting on the bed and maybe like one person on the floor. And then people would come and watch too because it was exciting. And inevitably, you know, there might have been a bong or two in there and bongs would get spilled. <laughs> and it was just, it was a bad scene. 
But what would happen was people got so addicted to Super Bomberman is that I would go out to class and I would come back. And, you know, when you live in a fraternity, you don't necessarily lock your door. You just because people just come in and out as they people as come they in want. and go. And you'd come back from like a morning class and you'd be tired or I'd come back from like a, at the end of a long day and the room would just be filled with people. It's a tiny ass room. People playing Bomberman, people watching, waiting to get on to Bomberman. And I would be like so pissed. So then I started I started locking my door because it was just it was ridiculous. And then and of course, like they would knock the bong over too while I was gone. It's just like an extra bonus. I mean, it was bad. I had you know, and people would like pass out. I had people who would get really drunk. They would piss in my bed, like waiting to, like passing out, waiting to play Bomberman. It was. I'm still friends with that guy, by the way, and I just visited him. He has a family. He's a lovely guy. He doesn't do that anymore. But it was bad. So I, lo- I would, I would lock my door when I would go out, and I remember, I came back one day and everybody was in my room. The door was wide open, and I was like, "What the fuck? Didn't I lock the door?" And one of the fraternity brothers was the campus locksmith. And he oh had the my keys. god! And he loved Super Bomberman, and he had the keys to basically every room on campus. <laughs> he and he broke let in. the people in to play Bomberman. <laughs> and it's like ugh. it was just it was, like, it was unstoppable. And like, what are you gonna do? You I'm gonna like what? I report the guy like he's my good friend. So I just realized <laughs> there's nothing I could do, and I really brought it upon myself by introducing this. So anyway. I, I would have to bring that with me just because it was really fun. And maybe if while I'm on this deserted island, if I go insane from just being alone, maybe I could hallucinate that I have people playing with me. You can hallucinate having people pissing on your like hammock uh, on oh, the beach. Oh. <laughs> At least it's sand and you can just. That's true. You can sort of just pat it over. Um, like, did this continue with like Super Bomberman 2? Uh, was it no, was no, this- no, no. Nope. I, it was just Super Bomberman because uh, I graduated in 95, and that was certainly good enough to hold us over. I don't know when the last one came out. And I feel like, you know, after I graduated college, I didn't, I wasn't playing much Super Nintendo again. I feel like, uh, you know, that was like, that was the end of Super Nintendo for me. Just sort of ta- taking a break from games, like we all sort of have a period where like, okay... Maybe you should focus on some other things for a while. <laughs> I, I forget exactly what happened to my Super Nintendo. I feel like I lent it to somebody and then it got stolen. It was like one of those. Sad... The, the guy stole it to play Super Bowman. Yeah, I think it's the same guy who pissed in my bed. I'm not even joking. I think I lent it to him and his house. Something got broken into. And yeah, not you should only go did, around yeah. to his house now and be like, hey, we should play I, some Super Bowman and just get really drunk and piss in his bed. And I see how I, he... I literally stayed in his house like two months ago. I didn't. I did not piss in anything but his toilet. <laughs> That's what you say. <laughs> he did not have Super Bomberman, but it would be that would be good. I should try to pick that, would, pick, pick that up. And have a, have a good time. <laughs> well, we're gonna sort of jump now. Now, now we're coming to the more modern side of your list and sort of ending on the more modern games. Um, and w- this is a juxtaposition, I think to all of the games we've had so far, the games we've had are, have been quick, snappy arcade games that, uh, you know, endless replayability. Uh, but now we're sort of going to talk about more of a story driven game. Um, so I'm very interested to hear why you've chosen this game. So why don't we listen to some music from this next game and let's dive straight into it. 
are changing pace a little bit now in the list. Uh, although the next two games are a little more arcadey again, but this this game specifically is is probably the most uh, different uh, out of all of the games that you have, uh, David. Um, developed by Team Ico uh, and published by Sony Computer Entertainment. This game released all the way back in 2001, which is incredible because it was directed by Fumita Ueda and... I have a friend who works at Sony Entertainment, and he recently posted a picture up on Facebook of him having dinner with uh, Fumuta Oeda in London, and that guy has not aged a day. Like Japanese he looks young. Good like that. He looks younger than I do, and he's like forty-five, and I'm twenty-six, and he just looks so much better than I do. <laughs> um, so he developed uh, and directed this game all the way back in two thousand and one. It's the uh, single-player puzzle platformer adventure game. For the PlayStation 2, Ico. David, Ico. Yes. What, what's this all about then? Well, well isn't it Ico? Uh, Ico, Ico. I, 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 I go by I, the Japanese uh, saying. Or Japanese well, then that would Yeah, so that would be Ico. Yeah. Not the New York, not the New York pronunciation. Yeah, like, I just unlike- go from the horrible <laughs> British I, Ico. Yeah. Uh, so why did I pick this game? So this is this is a game that I played with. I guess at the time, uh, we I was dating who, uh, the woman who's now my wife, and yeah. she was she, you know she was into video games and she she's she's a gamer uh, was and is a gamer, um, but this was a game that we sort of played together, and by played together I mean she sat with me on the couch and watched me play it. <laughs> uh, and help you know and help you you know sadly try to help you solve the puzzles and things like that um but this is a this is a, another game that i think or maybe the best game uh, as an example of a game that can give you a really strong emotional response that's not like kill it all kill them all put holes in it um and i just remember playing through this game uh with uh my wife uh, who's now my wa- the woman who's now my wife, and uh, just like really having an emotional response to getting to the end of the game. And I don't, I don't want to say that I was crying at the end of the game, but there might have been like a you know wet eye area, yeah. perhaps. Yeah, moist might have been moist in that yeah, zone. Yeah, for me too. Wade likes to do that. For anyone who has played either Ico or Shadow of the Colossus, by the end you you sort of. You stop feeling uh, emotions, that's for sure. Which is not, I mean, you know, and at the time, I don't know that I've had a lot of responses like that to video games. I mean, you have, you know, you can have excitement, sure, that's something that is, you know, pretty easy to have to feel playing a game. But, you know, to feel sad uh, or even like, even like happy, you know, so, you know, so happy that you're a little sad, uh, it just didn't really happen. And this game could do it. And really, you know, there wasn't that much story to it. You're re- it was really very simple when you think about it. And the technology wasn't there that, you know, like, like we have today where you can really just have, f- you know, full-blown motion acting, yeah. voice work done by real Hollywood actors. Uh, they didn't have anything close to that then. But yet, maybe you could have a more emotional response playing Eco than you would playing uh, L.A. Noir or another game that sort of tries to get you to react like a movie would. Um, Definitely, there is a, there is a strange way in which, 
And it's a very Japanese way. That, like, it's Japanese all over in the way they tell the story. And it's all about subtle, subtle things that happen once and never happen again. And that you're like, oh, what? what? It's just almost like really minimalist. So when yes. anything sort of dramatic happens, it's like, whoa, 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 what? Like, <laughs> I didn't expect that or... Uh, just the way Ueda-san sort of tells a story through environments and weird gestures is just so very Japanese and it's incredibly subtle. <laughs> and it's also, in a way, it also fought against sort of other Japanese games which tried to have a very complex story that really for somebody who wasn't going to go do some extra research might be almost impossible to understand. And in which case that would limit your response, your emotional response to, to the game and to the story. Eco sort of went in that other direction saying, Hey, you know, you just, just look at the movement of these characters to, de- to define who they are or the little noises that they might make when they, you know, get hurt or scared. I think that really sort of affected me because I remember being frustrated by, you know, playing Final Fantasy games and having no idea what was going on. I mean, the I could barely keep track of the characters' names. Uh, forget about following <laughs> the actual story, which would unfold over, you know, 80 hours. I mean, yeah, yeah. And here you had a game who was not like that at all. I mean, I don't remember this being a particularly long game, Uh I remember getting stuck on some of the puzzles, which, you know, made it longer, but it certainly wasn't, you you weren't grinding in this game. Uh, And I really appreciated that, I think, and I still do. So let's skip forward a little bit. It is 2016, and it is November of 2016, and we are soon going to be seeing The Last Guardian. Um, It's sort of, well... Shadow of the Clusters has appeared on this show quite a few times, um, for obvious reasons. Uh, and I've pretty much spoken about The Last Guardian almost every single time. Um, but is The Last Guardian going to be something you're going to be sitting down with your wife to maybe sort of relive those memories of playing through Eco together? Yeah, I, you know, I, I'm keeping my expectations really low. Like, I'm really just trying not to think about it. Um, but yes, uh, definitely. I don't even... You know, I, I did get the free T-shirt at E3 last year, or this year, um, and I've been wearing it around. But I don't know that she's particularly aware that it's coming out this year. <laughs> I don't think that she's been following it. <laughs> well, um, I I don't think any many people know that the develop the troubled development. I met I imagine so many people have given up hope. Um, so, but yeah, I would I would say that we would we would definitely give that a shot. Uh, unless it gets absolutely savaged in the reviews, but I don't—I <laughs> can't see that happening. Can't, that can't happen, right? I, mean, uh, well, I can—I can imagine—I can imagine it being behind the times, technology-wise. Yes, um, that, uh, yes. But gameplay-wise and sort of story-wise, being very true to what Ueda-san has already made and already sort of tells, I can imagine will hold it up enough um, to make it a certainly playable game. Yeah, like I said, I'm just really trying not to think about it, and that way, when I play, I probably you know I'll I'll look at the like these days I don't really read reviews anymore because I find 
I don't know. I can just look at the, the, the Metacritic and then make up my own mind. Like, if, as long as it's not garbage, yeah, then I'm fine. Like, I don't really need to know any more than if it's well, garbage. Well, what is, like, the threshold? Is it, like, 70 and above or, like, 65 and above or... Five. If there's a five in front of it, then I will. Then it's basically dead to me. Um, anything but that, you know, anything higher than that, I'm, I'm, I, I will give it a shot at least. Excellent. It doesn't mean I'm I'm there day one. But, yeah. Um, well, I would be very surprised if the Last Guardian got lower than a five. Um, right. I don't Let's think not it's think gonna about be. It. <laughs> I don't think it's gonna be a nine or a ten, but we'll see. We'll yeah. see. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm I'm looking forward and to we will, it. Yeah. yeah. Well, we're gonna see soon enough, which is just a miracle in itself. This what a strange year. Final Fantasy versus thirteen, Final Fantasy fifteen, uh, Last Guardian, just oh takes me takes me back. That's <laughs> good. It's good. Yeah. Year. Excellent. Games. Well, we're gonna move on to a game that this year got a re release and a superb re release for that but was originally released all the way back in uh, 2001 2002 so let's move on to the next game which is david's penultimate game um so let's listen to some excellent music truly excellent music from the soundtrack to this game and let's talk about it The second to last game, David, on your list that you're going to be taking with you to Super Mario World, to 1-1, one, one, um, is the sort of, and we have just maybe, we'll get on to which version you're going to be taking in a little while, um, but this is sort of the weird rail shooter music video game that's by uh, Tetsuya Mizuguchi, um, originally released for the Dreamcast and the PlayStation 2, uh, released all the way back in 2001, uh, and in Europe and America in 2002, it, yeah, it's an experience to say the least, it's an incredible electronic synthesizer of just everything happening all in front of your face at one time. It recently it recently released a PlayStation V uh, PlayStation VR version this year a couple of weeks ago, uh, receiving incredible reviews like ten out of tens across the board. I've had a chance to play it and it is a heck of an experience. It has definitely sold me on the capabilities of VR. And so this game is Res. Yes, Res is like a trip to the nightclub without having to get off your couch. Basically, and wait in line and spend <laughs> or a lot interact, of money uh, and buy beer, <laughs> right? Smell like cigarettes. Um, yeah, I mean, I I am somebody who, when I was younger, I liked to go out to uh, dance clubs in New York City. We had some really awesome ones with great sound systems and light shows. 
and I liked the music, and that was just something that I liked to do. So when Res came out, or really not forget about when it came out, but when I whenever I got my hands on it, uh, I immediately was hooked, and you know I started with the PS2 version. Uh, and my wife also was very into it as well. Um, she would watch me play it because she, she also, uh, I, you know, I met her at a dance club. So also very into uh, Rez. And she would enjoy watching me play. Yeah. Uh, we even, you know, we went as far as when we were getting married and we had to come up with, a, you know, like your song. You have, you have to come up with a song that you're going to dance to as your first <laughs> dance. We were like, can we fit Rez into this somehow? And at the time, it was hard to get the soundtrack, you couldn't just like download the soundtrack by you know hopping on the internet and pushing a button and listening to the whole soundtrack. So yeah. I remember I had to order like the import CD and it was like 30 bucks or even more, I forget. But I had to order this disc to find out the fact that it would be completely ridiculous to play any of these songs at our as our first dance song. <laughs> Unless like, you're wanting like a rave. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it just would have been it's completely inappropriate. Like, you know, and the, the one that came closest was Fear is the Mind Killer. And that was really just inappropriate. Uh, so we didn't we wound up not doing that. Um, but I did. I did wind up getting the CD. Um, but yeah, I mean, Re, I mean, Res makes a great case for video games as art. Uh, especially the new VR version, which you said you did, you did have a chance to play. Yeah. Oh, uh, wow. Jesus. <laughs> and in fact, was one of the driving forces in getting me to buy the damn VR thing in the first place. Uh, I bought I the game. I was certainly, certainly tempted to do so. Unfortunately, I'm not in a financial position to pull the trigger on such a thing. Um, but having had a go, I can definitely see a future where I own a PlayStation VR <laughs> due to this game. Yeah. My listeners made me feel guilty for not buying it. So we, so I couldn't talk about it on the CAD cast. Uh, but also the fact that I had already purchased red, the res infinite, uh, which is the, the new re-release. Yeah. Uh, the fact that I had already purchased that and owned it and had area X on there. I didn't want to play area X Without it being in VR, like I didn't yeah. want to go, th- you know what? I, I didn't want to ruin it. Yeah. In whatever stand- regular reality, I don't even know. What yeah. Non VR. <laughs> so it, like I was like, oh, the poor, so, the poor people world. Yeah. The, <laughs> so this is the, the place ultimate people first don't world own problem. VR. <laughs> so that yeah, that sort of guided my hand, forced my hand rather, and got me to put. But it it's pretty it's pretty amazing, and like I said, it does feel like you're experiencing art like i don't i can't imagine somebody who thinks that video games aren't art plays that and you know doesn't doesn't have an experience doesn't have an emotional experience and i in a way i feel like it's only really scratching the surface i feel you know area x to me seems like a demo of what could happen if there was a true res sequel you know that was all vr yeah Hopefully, and I don't know that that's... Hopefully this sort of renewed interest in Res Infinite um, can sort of spur something. Because obviously uh, Mizuguchi has sort of made his own company now. And uh, I think what like you're pretty good friends with the guys at 8.4, aren't you? Um, yeah, I know Mark. So Mark is now working now. with uh, Mizuguchi-san. So 
maybe you can press Mark on, like, hey, hey, Res Infinite 2. Let's make it happen. VR I mean, only. It, I'm sure what it comes down to is you got to sell Res Infinite. People yeah, got to buy absolutely. Res Infinite. If people don't buy Res Infinite, you know, I, actually, I just... People t- should. The people should, uh, but I just, you know, you're, you're not going to see Res 2 otherwise. Unless, I had this great idea that I mentioned on my show last week. If we can't get it the traditional way, we got to do like... We got to get some art museum, some well-funded art museum to put up the money. And then this could be, you know, this could be like a really interesting concept. This could be like something that appears as an exhibit in a a museum like the MoMA or the uh, Museum of the Moving Image in in Queens. Yeah. Uh, But it could also be like a a product that's on a shelf. And maybe it could be a nonprofit video game developed by a museum. I mean, these, why not? This is something that could happen, I feel. Maybe. MoMA? <laughs> Anybody listening yeah. from the MoMA? <laughs> there are ways to go around it. And I think with PSVR, I feel it's had like a pretty strong launch. The price point is obviously very high and it's not exactly easy to own. Um, but currently right now, out of the list of games, which I heard are pretty good, but Res seems to be like the must-own title. So Definitely. hopefully yeah. that is going to push it because we saw what was it, Child of Eden, um, yep. a couple of years ago for the Connect. But mm-hmm. see, what happens is the companies yeah. put out their new hardware, like Connect or PSVR, and then they they have money to spend on on game development. Yeah, and they pay companies like uh, Mizuguchi's company to make a game. But after that, after the launch, it's sort of like, well, we blew our load and, you know, we didn't sell yeah. 50 million PSVR, which is an impossibility. <laughs> like, the whole PSVR is an impossibility to really succeed because it's a $400 or $500 video game accessory. It's just impossible. I mean, we, it's not to say that it's not amazing and fun and if you have the money that you shouldn't get it, but it's just really an impossibility for, for true corporate success. And I feel like the longer we go before we hear that Res 2 is happening is just a bad sign about the amount of games that are coming next year. Yeah. But well, it's, it's an, weird inevitable because almost. since, well, since I, I try and keep up with uh, pretty much daily with whatever's being announced and stuff, but since the launch, there hasn't been an influx of people saying that they're working on PSVR games. It seems to have sort of flatlined a little bit now. Now all the stuff is. Obviously, it seems a lot more viable than the Kinect ever was, which was essentially just a piece of shit. Um, Well, but the Kinect had had an advantage in a way. It had a lot of advantages in that it was way cheaper and that at least at a time it was included with the machine. Yeah, it was, yeah. It's just just bad in terms of being (laughs) able to succeed. But... That being said, if you, when you show it off to your friend who's going to come over and see it, you put Res Infinite on an Area yeah. X, and they're not going to feel like I, you know, my wife played it, didn't feel nauseous. I played it. I, I tend to get nauseous in some of these things, some of these games, but no, this is done really well, really properly, and I just wish they like they just had a whole full blown game like this. I feel like people would. Yeah. Be, I mean, I read one review. The guy said he was crying at the end, like really crying at the end. I was not crying at the end. No. But I was um, like, I did really have the strong feeling of wanting more. Like I it's, need It's more. one of those experiences that it's hard to put into words because it is just, if you've played the original Res, you can sort of 
kind of get a grasp of what you're going to experience. But if you've never played Res before, and then you 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 do it in VR with it basically just completely 360 surrounding you, this just incredible visual spectacle. Um, it is a once well it'd be one of those things that people describe as a once in a lifetime experience like if you went to a theme park and they had it they'd be like oh you're going to that theme park you have to try this yeah this totally w-. yeah and so oh, well it's weird because uh although obviously not quite the same but there was this sort of another mizuguchi game which has like a vr version i don't know if it's like an official one but when i was at Ta- tokyo game show this year there was like a space channel five um vr version as well oh, really? which which is which is really good fun but obviously it's not the kind of the same experience but those kind of weird quirky old japanese games that re- like they kind of required more player input than they could give you at the time mm-hmm. uh through a control like a traditional controller seemed to be like a good a good way of showing how crazy vr experiences can be yeah yeah and, and you know res works really well because of the art style too it just it's conducive yeah. to that i mean the resolution on that thing is not the highest that it could be and no. it doesn't <laughs> matter it, 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 it almost like it's almost enhances res in a way if i feel like they could turn off some of like the post-processing because it's just going to get blurry on its own and that looks kind of nice <laughs> with with uh you know with this art style it yeah complements it um i don't know I, I just need more res. I'm taking res with me to this island. I'm taking res infinite. The specific Yeah, so specific you can version. have the VR headset. You can have the VR headset. I can have the VR. And you know what actually worked well that I was surprised? If you play the original levels that were, you can play them in VR, but they're not made specifically for VR. And yeah. you use your head, you use your head to do all the aiming. It works perfectly. It does. The tracking is really good. It's um, almost easier than using the controller, I think. Maybe it's weird because it only uses the PlayStation camera, which is not not the best piece of technology. So right, uh, so it it's works. pretty pretty good. I've only really tried it with the controller. I tried a little bit of the head tracking, um, but it does seem to be pretty good. But I, yeah, I found it much easier than the controller. The controller was confusing me, and then I switched to head, and it was. Well, it's that sort of natural thing, isn't it? Like, yep. oh, I see it on my right. I'm just going to sort of pop my head up to the right and or, or to the left, and sort of. It's weird. There's another. I, how many games do you have for your PSVR set? Um, I have, have Thumper also, which is okay. There's no lack of games. Like when you go to the store, there's a lot of games on. Yeah, there, to download. there. There is. It's not like one of those traditional dry releases where you right. Have it's impressive. The it's latest just... port and a new IP. Um, but this one game I've heard a lot of people go on about being pretty good as well is a game is it called Headmaster or something similar <laughs> that's the soccer one yeah the soccer one so like you are heading the ball so that really uses the head tracking um, <laughs> but obviously <laughs> it gets a little bit more uh, puzzle orientated as you go on like you have to head of the ball past like like some he- some balls are bombs and you have right. to like I just had different the but I've heard like, like the technology behind it like the head tracking works like exceptionally well um so it does feel like you're really because of the weight of the vr uh it feels like you're not heading thin air um you're actually sort of you know maybe getting like a bit of contact onto it so it did feel um, that way it did feel like i could aim the ball when i was doing it yeah well so the head tracking seems to maybe they can aim towards making more stuff like that using 
using the head tracking and stuff. But obviously, this time next year, we'll definitely see uh, right. what state um, exactly. all VR is at with Oculus and Palmer Lucky being stupid and Vive just seemingly dominating the PC market. My prediction um, is is not going to be a great scene on anybody's scene. It's just too expensive. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not time now. We're in the early adopter. We're in the phase now of the of people buying those leading edge <laughs> Model D computers from South yeah. Korea. These are only the people who are really interested in it. And eventually, it'll just be more. It'll be easier for people to get get their hands on it. Be a lot cheaper, and you know, won't be wires everywhere. Yeah. Well, I think it's about time that we start getting prepared. To ship you on your way to Super Mario Bros. 2-1-1. To play Res Infinite and Space Invaders and Hockey. And just all these excellent games that you've chosen today. Um, And we're going to finish technically with your most recent game. If we include Res as a released game back in 2001. Um, A game I haven't played yet. But I've heard incredibly good things about. Um, And so I'm very interested to hear what you have to say about it. So why don't we listen to some music from this last game. And let's finish David's final games. So jumping into the last game on David's list today is his most uh, recent release, uh, only released back in September of this year, uh, just over a month ago, um, developed by Playground Games, uh, although the series was originally developed by Turn 10 Studios. Uh, Published by Microsoft Studios as an exclusive for Xbox One and Microsoft Windows, it's the open world racing game in the Forza Horizon series, Forza Horizon 3. David, please tell me why the last game that you're taking with you is Forza Horizon 3. I could talk about the Forza Horizon series for a long time and all the time. But I also felt that I needed to choose a game, like a really big game, like like a open world monster of a game that could really occupy your time. A lot of these games I chose were for nostalgic purposes, uh, but Horizon 3... Is a fantastic game, but it's also a gigantic game. Uh, yeah, that can really just you could, you could play it forever. You could literally play it forever. You're constantly customizing. Uh, you can make your own races. Uh, yeah, it's not Mock Rider, but there's a <laughs> lot to do. Like, but like Mock Rider, there's a lot to do besides just racing in a circle. Mock Rider maybe just have one other thing to do, but Forza Horizon. You got a ton of stuff to do. Um, I'm a big, ra- you know, I've been playing racing games since 
forever, since the beginning of racing games. And, you know, we're at the point now where they, we're rendering the inside of the car completely accurately. It's unbelievable. It's completely unbelievable. I have, you know, this is one of the, the Play Anywhere games. So when you buy the digital version. You get like you get, the PC version. Or... Right. And I have a yeah. I have a 1440p display and like, you know, a nice gaming computer. When you put this thing on there and you can you do the in-cockpit view on these cars, you can read every letter that's on the every dial. It's insane. It's completely insane. I just feel like I could, if I ever got bored on this island, I could just look inside the cockpits of these, you know, there's hundreds of cars to go through. There's a <laughs> lot of stuff. I mean, the soundtrack is fantastic. Have you played a- any of these Horizon games? So I've never played any of the Horizon games, but I have played the, like, Forza series stuff. But okay. I know it's very different. This is more arcade This is a little more, less Gran Turismo, more Sega Rally style, I believe. Right. This is, in my opinion, this is... Perfect example of like the son uh, overtaking the father. I feel like this the Horizon series is so much better than the Motorsport series at this point. That I mean, I know why they do both because there's audiences for both. But yeah, I don't even touch the Motorsport series anymore. I've I've used to love it, but it's it seems boring to me now after all the stuff that there is to do in in Horizon, and the gameplay is basically the same. I mean, you're driving the cars. You you can still make it sim driving if you want. There's a lot of options. I don't. For me, there's no reason to buy uh, motorsport anymore. And I'm the guy that was buying like the collector's edition, so I could get the steel case with the book or whatever. Uh, now I just skip it. Now I don't even buy it. What specifically then about Forza Horizon Three has sort of caught your eye over like the other two obviously the world is very big it's like the australian outback and all that sort of stuff but um is it just like improved versions of the previous two um or does this have maybe a sort of special uniqueness to it see now now that they've been working on it for a while they've they've got the, the what the core of what makes the horizon series great is that they've distilled like the sunday drive into a video game like just going out and getting into your car and just driving for really no reason or deciding, you know, picking a destination just because you feel like getting into the car and listening to music. Yeah. Uh, which some people do. And you don't need to have a Lamborghini to do it. People can do it. You can do it in any car and have fun. Uh, but I feel like they've got that whole attitude and they distilled it into into Horizon, the Horizon series. Um, and they've so now that they figured out how to do that, and they figured that out from from basically the first one. You know, little by little, they keep adding more and more. And this time, they've added, they've made you the boss of this Horizon Festival. The whole game takes place where the, it's a a music and car festival. Previously, you've been just a contestant. Now you're the boss, uh, and that makes. It just it's an excuse to give you more things to do and to let you customize more. So now you can m- create your own events and name them and try to be clever and witty in your silly little names. And when, yeah. when you post them, your friends will people on your friends list can run into them and then they can race them and then hit you up on Twitter telling you how funny and clever you are. <laughs> Which again is something that you can do in a racing game that's not driving around in a circle. Which, 
I think is like basically like the holy grail when you're creating a, a racing game. Uh, it does seem I, incredibly dynamic. Like just tracks can spawn almost out of anywhere. Just like you can make a track out of any dirt road connecting to any motorway and all that kind of stuff. It seems really dynamic. There's a lot of, I mean, you can, on your own, you can basically create a, a wide variety of different types of events that people can compete in. But they also have the one, and then also you see other people's events that you can choose from. And then they have the ones that they've set up themselves. So there's, it's just what, you know, like when you load up an Assassin's Creed game, now and you see the map with like a billion things on it like you can barely yeah, see the map lots just, and lots of icons that's what it that's what it's at this if you if you want that's what you can get out of horizon <laughs> 3 uh, but the core you know it all comes down to the at the end of the day it all comes down to the core gameplay and like how it feels to drive the car uh and that's what, something that i feel like it has like the ultimate advantage like compared to like a drive club or something which looks great but i just don't feel like the cars drive all that well but horizon you know and the, the whole music aspect also is something that i really enjoy i love they have a, like a lot of electronic stations on there and it's very well done with djs and all that stuff you know just like you'd expect from like a grand theft auto or Centro. yeah uh but i always wind up getting new music i mean or music that i listen to outside of the game uh from these horizon games I wind up like hitting them up on Spotify and making play. There's actually like the playlists from the games on Spotify. So you can actually listen to the exact channels, you know, that they play in the game. Outside um, of the game. Outside of the game, which is pretty cool. Driving your car and you feel like you're playing Forza. Um, can you, can know, you it, input music? Can you import music into it? Like, yeah, the, the, uh, the Microsoft has some, they have their groove service, which you're probably not going to sign up for. But people said that <laughs> you can sign up for uh, Sky Cloud, whatever their cloud service is. And if you upload files into that, you could just suck them down. So I haven't tried it, but people said it works. But I really – there's so many songs in there. It's it's pretty good. But, yes, I would. it would be nice if you could have Spotify in there. And then yeah. they separate the DJ because the, the DJ is giving you information in the game, like telling you to check out events and things and calling you by your name this time, which is, you know, you can select your, your real name in the game, which is first, yeah. which is always unnerving the first time you turn the game on <laughs> and you hear like the navigation in the car. Saying, <laughs> Hello, David. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, oh, yeah, right. It knows my name. Um, and also like my son loves this game. He's nine and he can, you know. It's pretty fun to be able to drive a Ferrari when you're nine. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Listen to music. Well, Well, I think that's a game that's going to last you a heck of a long time uh, Mm -hmm. and provide you some with some fun. I always thought with the drive-a-tar system Mm -hmm. um, that maybe it'll starve off the sort of craziness. It might simulate the the thought of other people being around you a little bit longer. It does that really well. And in fact... You know, you mentioned what's different between the last one. They, so they have the drive avatars again, but now what they let you do, if you honk your horn at one of the drive avatars, which are, you know, people on your friends list. Yeah. If yeah. you honk your horn at them, they'll follow you. So, and you That's can have a, so con- weird. And, and you can have a convoy. And it is really weird because you see, oh, there's, you know, there's Wombat. And you honk your horn and he gets behind you. Oh, there's Shipwreck. And then it's like, it's almost like they're playing. They're re- you're really playing with somebody online. I mean, it yeah. feels like they are, 
but not. And yeah, you're right. You made a good point. <laughs> I didn't actually think about that, but that could uh, keep away the madness, perhaps. Yeah, I think uh, you can sort of simulate having your buddies there, especially if it's that dynamic in the way it reacts to you as the player and they follow you and stuff. That that definitely would add an element more of the humanity to it that might keep you from going mad a little bit longer. It's working in real life right now, actually. Ah, you know, I get well, lonely during the day, and <laughs> it is—it is—it's like a, a good example of like a little addition on a sequel game that seems like a throwaway add-on, but it actually makes a big difference to see have your friends following you around that aren't really there. Wow, I believe we've sort of come to the 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 end of the show now, where we need to send you off to the place that you are going to be playing these games and staving off humanity for a bit longer by driving through the Australian outback um, with some fake driver tar friends. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's been an absolute pleasure having you on, David. It's been so um, incredible for me as quite a young gamer to talk through some of the sort of older games that we don't get on the show too often. So thank you so much for coming on the show today. My pleasure. So before I let you go, before I ship you off to your destiny as a one one item character flag piece part um i have to ask you the same question i have to ask all my guests before they leave which is if you could choose any console bearing in mind the back catalog um of that console um, but no backwards compatibility if you can choose any console um only one to take with you what console would it be oh you're so evil how evil are you? Right I now? know. I know. I love it. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. PC is not a console, right? PC is not allowed, my friend. <laughs> you can emulate too much stuff on PCs these days. Right. I'm always trying to cheat. Have you noticed that? Yes, um, I have. It's <laughs> horrible. We're, we're going to make sure we tie you down in Super Mario. <laughs> man, I got to go. Oh, man. Can I go? Can I go Xbox Scorpio? <laughs> yeah, no, I think we I think we could do that. You won't get like, it <laughs> yet. <laughs> so, ship it to me, right? It's coming. We know it's coming. We know it's coming. We know right. it's not going to be more. It's not going to be like overwhelmingly more spectacular than uh, like a brand new console. Um, but I think we can do that. I think okay. you can have that. I can but, have some controversy on, as my uh, final finale here. Yeah. We we just have to sort of find a way to put it in a like a, a like a bottle to send into the ocean <laughs> to find you one day. <laughs> I have a feeling you're gonna need a really big bottle for that. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, David, we have come to the end. So, uh, for the wonderful listeners who have made it this far, um, please tell them where they can find you on the internet and uh, what they should be checking out. Of course, uh, of course. If you're looking for video game deals, you want to go to cheapassgamer.com. If you'd like to get them on Twitter, just go to at Video Game Deals. It's updated all day, a lot, by Thorbon. He's awesome. Um, and uh, if you want to follow me personally on Twitter, I'm at CheapyD. Absolutely. And we have, we, have a, we have a podcast called The CADcast, which is on iTunes. You just search CADcast. Yes, definitely do. It's a really good podcast to listen to. Some really good fun. Um, yes, so once again, we have come to the end of Final Games. This has been episode 39. As always, you can find the show on iTunes. You can find it on SoundCloud. You can find it on Stitcher and Pocket Casts and Overcast and every single 
pretty much every podcast outlet there now. So many people listen to podcasts in so many various ways. It's hard to keep up for me now. Um, but yeah, you can go to iTunes and you can rate and review the show if you enjoy it. It really does help. I'm sure, GPD, you can attest to how much iTunes reviews really do help. I stopped um, asking about five years ago. <laughs> Not because it doesn't help, just because I just got tired of asking it. I'm sure people yeah. are tired of hearing it. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I ask at the end and not not at the beginning, because uh, that would get annoying. Right. Um, but yes, if you do enjoy the show and you don't mind and you don't find it annoying, please do go ahead and rate and review. It does help. Um, but you can find me on Twitter at LiamBME, and you can also find the show at Final Game Show. And if for any reason you would like to email, as always, you can email finalgamespodcast at gmail.com. Thank you so much to David for coming on the show and sharing his eight games with us today, and thank you so much for listening. I hope to see you again next week, and goodbye. <laughs>